Welcome to the Robcast. If you dig this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash robshow. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robshowtv. And keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, The Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now for your listening pleasure, today's Robcast. Joining me in studio, you can see him all weekend long. You can hear his podcast, Scary Monsters. It's available on iTunes and his latest special up on Amazon, Cheer Up, uh, welcoming Nick Griffin to the program. Welcome, Nick. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So today is Friday. You did the Thursday night show. How was the Thursday night show? It was great. It was, uh, you know, not a ton of people, but it was great energy and the room was great and uh, we had a good time. Yeah, I was really happy with it. You're here in a weird time because everybody's in... They're in limbo. They're worried about the hurricane. The hurricane's coming. They're not sure which way it's going to go. So I see people. It's panic. <laughs> it's pandemonium in the town that I live in, and we're still five days out. So I've been here for less than 24 hours, and that's every, every, That's what everyone's whispering. Is it going to hit? Or are we going to get hit? Should we stay in? Should we go out? Where, where should we go? Don't go anywhere. I say, say I've made the mistake of leaving before, and I found the one thing that you do is you just stay put and ride it out, unless it's like, you know, the end of days, but right. I, I mean, it's Florida. We deal with this nonsense like four or five times a year. Constantly. So, yeah. yeah. You guys are warriors. Where is home for you? Well, I live in New York city. I'm originally from Kansas, but I've been in New York city for like 13 years. And, and uh, prior to New York city, cause I read up uh, some stuff. So I want to make sure that my information's accurate. You sure. left uh, Kansas city. You start doing stand up at 19 years old, correct? Right, yeah. And, it, and then I was in Kansas City. I was in college, and I started doing it then. And then I did it for about three years in the Midwest. Then I moved to New York, got my butt kicked in New York, and moved to L.A. because a bunch of friends were living there. And I moved out there for about 14 years. Wow. Which yeah. do you like more, New York or L.A.? Probably New York just simply because it has more sets available. You know, in L.A., the traffic's so bad that you— you know, it takes an hour to get anywhere, yeah. so you can't run around and do sets, whereas in New York, you can just jump on a subway and get two or three sets in a night. So. Yeah, I interviewed Big J Okerson, sure. who was telling me there are nights where, when he was coming up, he would go and do eight spots a night, and he's only making 20 bucks at each spot, but that's 160 bucks at the end of the night if you're doing it right. Sure, yeah, and he's a comic, and he's probably getting a free meal and a couple free drinks, so yeah, it's it's not a bad deal when you're in your 20s and 30s. And those opportunities, don't they're not as frequent out in L.A., it's just difficult to get to yeah, them? Yeah, it's just a difficult... Like, literally, logistically, it's hard to get around because, uh, you know, the clubs are more spread around. Now, I was there, you know, 20 years ago, so or 15 years ago, so there wasn't as many produced shows. People are so um, entrepreneurial now that uh, a lot of people do their own little shows wherever they can, and uh, that just wasn't happening like 20 years ago, 30 years ago. From like, everything that I've heard, it's that if you want to do stand-up, you go to New York. If you want to do TV and films, you move to L.A. But, I mean, even now you can go to Atlanta because that's where they film a lot of stuff now. So sure. it's definitely changed over the past. There's some great cities, yeah. Austin's another great city. And, uh, you know, Montreal has a ton of good good comics. You know, you go to any of these towns and sometimes like on a Thursday like uh, last night here um, – They'll have an open mic, which they didn't at this club, but a lot of clubs will have an open mic after that first show uh, during the week. And, uh, you know, there's 20, 30 comics in these little small towns, Des Moines and yeah. uh, Boise. Well, they do it crazy. here. They'll do a competition at Laughin. They do a competition do. open mic. And if you, I think it's if you win that, then you close out the next open mic. Oh, and that's cool. kind of how you get in around here is yeah. by doing the open mic. So you start out at 19 years old in Kansas. Uh, I read <laughs> online that the first show that you ever, like the first actual show you did was in a dance bar. 
Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those. It was just one of those places that said, "Let's try." You know, they probably had uh, line dancing on Thursdays and trivia comedy, night. Yeah, they needed comedy something. on uh, on Wednesdays. So, yeah, I did a really bad uh, um, dance bar. My first show ever. I bombed. Um, the other guy was like, don't worry about it. You're not supposed to do well at a dance club. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's hard. I've done stand-up. I mean, with Clark, your feature act, sure. I, we did stand-up in an old, it was called Chimatic Studios, and it was an old warehouse, but they would, they'd pay you if you did the feature spot, and they'd give you 25 bucks, and you go, hey, if somebody's going to pay me 25 bucks to go sit inside of a warehouse that had, they didn't have seats. What they had were church pews for the oh, seats because they got them for cheap, so they just put so church great. pews. How long are you doing shows like that before you actually start to tour and go out on the road? Well, I, I came in um, probably around 87, 88, and there was a comedy boom happening. Like, you could go out in the Midwest and play, you know, every weekend at some Italian restaurant or coffee shop and get paid 50 bucks to host a show. And um, so I was doing it a lot back then. I was probably two years, by two, three years in, I was, you know, just hosting. I was, I was doing 10 minutes and it wasn't very good, but I was getting a lot of work. That was during the boom when it was really just at the end of the first boom and... In what, the late 80s, early 90s? That's right. And that was, I read online that you said 30 to 40 weeks you'd be on the road a year. Iowa, Michigan, Ohio, Nebraska, (laughs) Missouri. Is that where you're going? Yeah. Well, I'm from the Midwest. So So it's okay. Yeah, Yeah. and it's it's so many, there's so many clubs out there. You know, you go to New York and you go to Miami and you go to uh, San Francisco, there's 8 billion things to do. But if you go to Des Moines, there's three things to do. And one of them is the comedy club. So a lot of people come out. And, uh, you know, it's it's where you really get a lot of stage time when you're starting out. So you do that for a few years. And then uh, I read Margaret Smith was the one. You you wanted to find out how to get on Letterman, and she had been on Letterman like ten times, and yeah. she told you if you want to go and get on Letterman, you move to New York. Yeah, she said. Uh, yeah, she. I don't. People don't know Margaret Smith. She was a great comic, but she talk, she was very dry, and she'd go, "You want to get on Letterman? Move out to New York City, and probably like six or seven years, you'll get on." And then eighteen years later, I got on. You know, it didn't didn't happen as quickly as she had predicted. Yeah. but uh, yeah, I actually went out there. Didn't do well. Moved to L.A. Started to get a little bit better, and then and then I got on uh, Letterman. But uh, it took twelve or thirteen times, right? How many times were we on Letterman all together? Eleven, 11 times. times. Yeah, it was really exciting, and probably the biggest thrill I'll ever have is the first time I did Letterman. What year was that? How long into it? Where and I was nineteen years into my career when you got Letterman. When I got, but Letterman wasn't the first one. It was Kilborn, right? Kilborn, the late late yeah, show. I, yeah, I actually was auditioning. The woman who booked Letterman also booked Kilborn, and she goes, "I don't think you're ready for Dave yet, but I'll put you on Kilborn." And uh, so I did Kilborn. And, and then you also did it with uh, Craig Ferguson, the late late show, I did. right? Craig Ferguson put me on a lot, and uh, that was good. That was a little bit more wacky, and because uh, you know he he's, he's very. Um, He's very wacky. Yeah. He's very uh, uh, improv-y. And, uh, his, I mean, the stories of him, because I've heard him on Howard, before he became an actor and comedian, he was like a raging drug and alcoholic, and he was living in his car, and then he got the Drew Carey show, and it kind of just changed his life, and then he got that, and I don't know what he's doing now, probably a podcast or a serious he, XM show, well, that's what they do. <laughs> It's so funny. You said exactly what he's doing. He's doing a podcast, and he's got a serious XM show. That's what happens, man. They've- and he also, has, I think he has a game show as well, or he did for a while. Yeah. 
I'm glad when they start putting people on those channels that actually do a show. Like they gave Oprah sixty million dollars to give her, to, and she never did a radio show ever. Yeah. And they gave her sixty million just to have her name on their service. And it works. This is Nick Griffin joining us in studio. You can see him all weekend long. The podcast Scary Monsters. It's available on iTunes, and his latest special Cheer Up is available on Amazon. So you move out to New York in the early '90s. Uh, you then it doesn't work. You move out to L.A. And then I saw that you started writing. You were you were hired as the a writer for the Keenan Ivory Wayan show. Yeah, correct? It was, I, well, I tried to get on the show as a stand up. They put up, you know, it was like it was like a regular talk show. And uh, they bumped me. I was I was literally at the venue at the Keenan Ivory Wayan show in my dressing room. And then someone came in and said, hey, Keenan's decided to use somebody else. I was actually booked on the show and my manager worked it so that. Oh, Nick's really disappointed, and they said, well, you know, we'll make it up to him. And he said, well, he's really good at writing jokes. So they put me on staff for 13 weeks, and that was really hard. But that was uh, – Keenan was very nice. I have nothing bad to say Do about you ha- Are you working with the rest of the Wayans brothers, or was it just a Keenan? They were very young at the time, but they would come in at the end of the day when you would when you'd kind of created the monologue, and they would sit in with us as we pitched our last jokes to Keenan and kind of give a yes or no and what they thought of it. And that was always hard to hear these little teenage kids going, yeah, no, that one's not good. Yeah, and meanwhile, you've sat there and labored over it with other writers. <laughs> so how long does it take when you're writing a TV show? They, I mean, it was on for 13 weeks. That's how long the show lasted. No, I was just on for 13 weeks. I think it was on for two years. Okay. Yeah. And how long does it take to write an episode? Like the average day for, if that's, like, it's almost like a, you have to write a monologue and then right. is that what you were in charge of or the monologue? Jokes? Well, everyone was kind of doing everything. They did some ske- sketches, and uh, but a lot, a lot of it was monologue. And then sometimes you'd help with the guests. The guests would do a, a, a bit with the uh, with the host. Okay, um, but you'd come in around nine. And, and Keenan, that show was a little bit. Um, uh, they weren't sure what they were doing. I don't think, or they weren't sure what they wanted to, the the show to be like. So it took four. I was there fourteen hours a day, twelve hours. Was a it day. daytime or was it an evening show? No, it was what, like what? it was like nine to you would the show would tape at five in the evening, and then you'd stick around for another couple hours to figure out what the next day was going to be like, okay. and all the producers meeting up and all that nonsense. And then and you, I didn't enjoy it, so I left. Well, and then you go to write. You were the head writer for the Bobby Slayton and uh, <laughs> Sue Murphy. <laughs> radio show and I love Bobby Slayton man he's a great guest when he caught but I had no idea that he did a radio show out but, there well there was a um I don't know if you remember this but there was a during the dot-com boom comedy were, world radio that was what it was wow okay yeah I, I can't knew, believe you knew that well, no one knows that a guy that I worked for in Cleveland Ohio his name was Rover and sure. he worked for uh for the Sure, Comedy World Radio, and they paid him. He was like, "This is." It was like the early two thousands, and they paid him a million dollars a year for his show, and it was just him. And he went, "Oh, I could do this," because he was a night jock before, and he had done night radio, but he played music. And the first day he went in, he was like, "Oh, this is easy. I'll talk for four hours, and that'll be it." Problem was, he did that the first day, and he realized all of his stories have been told, and he didn't know what to do for the next day. And he goes. So the first thing he did was he went out and he bought with when they gave him his first check he went out and he bought a, a Porsche and then the I guess it folded at a certain point oh sure and not he still too had long the after and he still had the Porsche payment but none of the paycheck <laughs> right. and he said it was the worst thing so how long were you at Comedy World Radio I was there for, for a year and then they kind of started to slow down and 
they could tell that it wasn't going to take off and you know they started to have budget cuts and people the 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 budgets for the individual shows weren't going well and they were breaking up the shows and uh, yeah it was it was like a lot of that stuff during the dot com boom it just fell apart quickly is it hard when you're there I think the guy lost like 30 40 million dollars well, the, I mean if you're just paying one guy a million dollars to do a show I can't imagine what you're paying everybody else and that's how Bobby Slayton knew Rover and they remained uh, friends for a long time but it was always cool to hear the comedy world stories because yeah. he, they, Rover said the guy had no idea what he was doing it was just money and they were trying to figure it out as they mm-hmm. went and he went that, that doesn't yeah, work yeah they didn't know what they were doing and I, I worked with Bobby for years and years he, I was his middle act probably for seven eight years oh wow yeah, was he the first guy that took you out on the road, or was there? Yeah, yeah. I remember being in Philadelphia. I was a really nervous little comic there, and not living in Philadelphia, but I had a gig in Philadelphia with him. And I remember I was sitting at the bar drinking a, um, a Pepto, one of those little travel size bottles of Pepto Bismol before the show on like a Wednesday night. And Bobby came in. He sees me doing that. And he goes, "What the hell are you doing? What are you, an idiot? Have a drink. Relax. It's just a show, you know." And then he kind of took me under his wing, and we 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 did the road for six, seven, eight years. Yeah. Uh, had a lot of fun, drank a lot, and, uh, you know, I thought he was one of the best comics I ever worked with, ever. When the comedy world radio starts to end and they start doing budget cuts, like, how long do you go, all right, the writing's on the wall here, I gotta find something else? Well, I was newly married at the time, so oh. that was scary for me. Yeah. My wife was in school, and uh, I definitely had to figure out how I was gonna get a paycheck, so I could, uh, you know, people, Bobby was saying, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna stick around, because, you know, they weren't sure if the checks were gonna clear and all yeah. that stuff, so... I just went right back out on the road. Now, has there ever been a time where you've been doing stand up, like especially when you first started out and you had to have, uh, like, you had to have a day job? Oh, sure. Yeah. What was the weirdest one? Because I love hearing what comics do during the day because it's everything from construction and landscaping to there's guys who are lawyers and then they go out and tell dick jokes at night. And I go, that's so weird. Yeah. There's a lot of ex lawyers in comedy. Um, I, well, I mean, I did. I, I pulled for some uh, political candidates where I would, you know, cold call people and say, hey, do you know, Fred Smith, he's a great, you know, city councilman, and but I would just fake it the whole time. I wouldn't even just, I wouldn't do any of it. And um, yeah, I, I worked in a bagel shop, and I just hid downstairs a lot. And uh, I was not, I was not made for this uh, nine to five stuff. You know, yeah, me neither. You know, That's why I do radio. It's so hard. It's so hard. And um, and I desperately, and I had something that I really wanted to do, which was stand up. So my, my my eyes were always on the prize and pushing, writing. What year did you realize you, I know you started at 19, but how old were you when you were like, Hey, I want to do that. Or I could do that. I think it was when I moved to New York at like 23 and I saw guys like, um, you know, John Stewart and Ray Romano and, uh, people like Dennis Leary and, um, a bunch of these guys that, uh, were just amazing and they hadn't hit yet. And I just, I was amazed at what they were talking about. You know, when I started, I was kind of talking about normal stuff and Midwest stuff and my family and my brother beats me up. And then these guys, I go to New York and they're talking about everything under the sun, their yeah. lives and their personal feelings. And it was just really, I thought that's what I want to do. You know, it kind of reminded me of the, some of those early prior albums that I heard him talking about stuff like that. Well, was, that's what, like, who is one of your influences is prior. Well, I, yeah, he's so great. I mean, I, he's one of my favorites, Richard Lewis, another huge favorite, Bobby Slayton is Definitely a huge influence on me. And some of the guys that, you know, when I was growing up, there was only, um, you know, you only saw a handful of people because you had, there was basically three channels and maybe HBO that showed comics, but, 
But it was, you know, people like Seinfeld and Stephen Wright and uh, Margaret Smith and uh, Richard Lewis. And those are the people that Letterman put on. Yeah. This is Nick Griffin. You can see him all weekend long. So what's the podcast about scary monsters? Well, we had been uh, talking about doing a podcast. My friend and I, Lori Palmateri, who's also a comic. And um, we just didn't want to do something where everyone's just talking about their normal day-to-day stuff. So we were both huge horror movie fans. And we decided we were going to watch a horror movie each week and then come back and talk about it and kind of break it down and relate it to our lives. It's just a way to get into a discussion about horror. Yeah, we're big horror fans. Well, because you, you're a screenwriter and oh, you've I'm written... trying, yeah. And you've written horror movies, correct? I have. None of them have been uh, purchased, but um, I'm out there. I'm trying. Well, can you tell me what the plot or just the idea of one of them? <laughs> well, one was called Freak Show and it was about a uh, late night uh, kind of a... Well, like a Jerry Springer-like host... Whose, whose career was kind of tanking and decided he's going to take six people into this haunted house and shoot it all live, and um, it all kind of goes awry. That's a good and, idea. Yeah. it was That was like 20 years ago, but that was the one that got a little bit of traction and never happened. How many do you have written? I probably have about eight. Yeah. You what know? turned you on to, like, when did you become a horror fan? When I was a kid, my, my, my older brother was just like this crazy horror movie fan, and there was like a Friday Fright Night and a Saturday Scream Night on these, uh, you know, local... TV, TV channels, channels, yeah. And they had a host and everything, and we'd watch every horror movie that came on every Friday and Saturday, and it just gets into your DNA, and you can't let it go. And What's I'm your favorite like, horror movie of all time? Well, I'm a Catholic, so Exorcist is really cool for me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that really stuck yeah. with me. That was terrifying. I saw, it's weird, but I like going back now and watching old movies from the 80s and 90s. Sure. Like, I know it's not old 90s, but I watched Poltergeist. I went back and watched Poltergeist. And it, for that time where they'd suck everything into the closet and you're going, how are they doing this in 1983? Like it's the amazing. ability that they had then. And I go, man, and I, I gotta be honest, I get scared very easily. I don't like horror movies. I don't like thrillers. Like I don't mm-hmm. like the whole time. I'm, I don't like being scared the it's whole time. Anxious. Yeah, it does. I just sit there and I go, oh man, I just yeah. want this to to be over and my girlfriend is the exact opposite so she loves watching that stuff and i think she likes watching it because she sees how uncomfortable it makes me and i go this is not how i want to spend two hours like i'd rather watch airplane and laugh than do that for two hours more people than not i think feel the way you do it's it's i i, I meet very few people who are really into horror and you know every horror movie that comes out they go to see but uh we enjoyed it and uh it was just a little something different how many episodes do you guys have done? We only have uh, 21 right now. 21, but they're all on iTunes, they're right? They're all so on iTunes. Go look. If you like horror, Scary Monsters is on iTunes. You can find it today. I want to ask you about the Amazon special as well. Cheer up. So was that something that you did yourself and then you went and sold to Amazon? Yeah. That's the way to do it now. Isn't that correct? Because Well, a lot of times that's the only way you can because a lot of times you know, you're at that level where people aren't dying. People are knocking down your door to do, to have you do a special, but sometimes you'll put the money up and, and create a really cool special on your own. And then you take it to them because all those channels need product and more and more channels, I think uh, need product and more and more websites or whatever you call them. And, um, so, uh, yeah, we got lucky. Amazon got excited about it and got behind it. I was just talking, uh, Mitch Fattel is in town sure, as well this weekend. So I was talking to Mitch yesterday, and he has a special that's going to come out in January. And he said he's currently in the process of pitching it between 
Amazon and Hulu because Netflix passed on it. And he goes, yeah. but one of, they both show interest. And now it's just one of those games where, he, and I asked him, I go, so you put the money up and you do all that yourself up front? And he goes, yeah. But in the end, uh, his big thing was he went back and watched a Comedy Central special that he did and they cut out parts that he didn't want cut out. He said it changed the entire flow of the actual special to the point where he was watching it and going, I hate this. I hate this special because they've edited yeah. and cut out so much. Whereas when you own it, you shoot it, you film it, you own everything. So you're the editor, you're the director, you're doing producer, that all yourself. Yeah. So you put all the money up front yourself, you go and do all that, and now it's... and But it worked, because Amazon bit. Yeah, they, it did work. It could have it could have gone really badly and not uh, not been bought. And now... It would have been a big trouble. <laughs> yeah, because you, you spent all that money. Um, right, then I'd be back doing comedy at a dance club. Well, that's the thing. Like, I sold... Yeah, and you, I heard that the, uh, one of the comics wanted you guys to pull all your money together and buy Coke, and you yeah, were like, no, Yeah, that's nah, true. That's absolutely true. I was like, well, I was 20 at the time, and uh, yeah, the guy goes, let's get some Coke. And I'm like, Coke, what are we doing? I was hoping to go get McDonald's after yeah, this. Yeah, eat <laughs> cocaine. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's weird because uh, Richard, or not Richard, Louis C.K. put out um, Horace and Pete. Right, and, of course. And he did that all himself. And then like a month after that came out, all the Me Too stuff came out. And then he couldn't, nobody wanted to buy that. I mean, the Louis C.K. fans wanted to buy the product and they did. Right. But I went, man, he spent, and he was on Howard Stern promoting it prior to. And he's like, I spent every nickel and dime that I have on this show. So I'm hoping it takes off. And it did get picked up somewhere. But yeah. I went, that that being in limbo and then your whole world falls out from underneath Crazy. you. And you go, how do you go back to, but he, I mean, he went back to work. He was at Side Splitters in Tampa, That's sold out. And like, it was a couple of minutes that they put tickets on sale and people and I went all right good because you know what let him go back out and work man nobody should be held back I, I just I don't know it seems weird like Mitch Fattel was telling me yesterday about jokes that he can no longer tell on stage because of the culture that we're in the yeah, climate that we're in do you have that because you have a darker tone but it's not I'm not like you're it's not shock more, jock comedy but it is darker depressive yeah it is more darker more uh, internal but it's more like I'm making fun of myself than I'm making fun of others but yeah there's some stuff I have to pull back on yeah. definitely um that I I and I'm aware of it you know we were just talking Clark uh and I were talking about how just constructing an act now I I kind of try to do 10 minutes for the audience and maybe 10 minutes for me and then 10 you know and all of it's good yeah but it's not as personal as some of the stuff that I might, you know, might have written 10 years ago. The one thing I did read uh, that you said, because you're, they're not one-liners, but they're quick jokes. Yeah, set definitely. up, punchline, set up, punchline, let's get through with the jokes. And I like that format. I like it quickly. Uh, but that is also hard to put a new hour together. And forever. That's what I read that you said it takes three or four years to put a new hour together. How do you, so when you put that hour <laughs> out on Amazon, do you already have another hour ready to go that you've crafted? or Because once, once it's out there, how do you go out and tell those jokes again in case people see Well, them? sometimes like, you know, whatever, Free Bird or, you know, You Shook Me All Night Long. Sometimes the audience wants to hear some of the those. Hits. Yeah. The hits, a couple of the hits. And by the time the special comes out, <clears throat> you probably have 10, 15, 20 minutes already of new material. Okay. So you're doing half new material, half old material, and then another year or two goes by, and then you're ready for a new special. How so. far into the writing process are you for the next special? I'm about 40 minutes in. I need about 20, 15, 20 minutes, yeah. And, and so how long do you think that'll take you, another year? That'll 
to, no, hopefully about six months because I'm really buckling down and really trying to produce faster and uh, not being as hard on myself as when I'm editing. Yeah. This is Nick Griffin. You can see him all weekend long. The podcast Scary Monsters. It's up on iTunes. Uh, the special that we just talked about up on Amazon now. Cheer up. Go download it. Go watch it. Uh, you can go to nickgriffin.net for everything Nick. So I do have to ask, what's Letterman like? Because, um, I mean, when you're on the show 11 times, do you ever establish like a rapport with him? Because I've heard Howard talk about going on and being on with him. And he goes, during the commercial break, Dave would lean over and go, I hate being here. And he was just <laughs> miserable. But then he gets back in front of the camera and he's, welcome back, everybody. And that's why I like Letterman. Like when he left show business and grew that beard and went, I'm moving to Montana. I don't want to be around any right. of you anymore. I went, oh, I love that. Like, I love that about him. But do you ever, does he ever warm up to you? Do you guys ever have a conversation? I don't, I mean, it's hard to say. He, he never, we never had any sort of conversation. He was always extremely kind to me. Just those first first or last seconds as, as, uh, after I do my set and he said, thanks for coming in. And then the cameras go black. And then he says, you know, thanks so much for coming. That was great. And that to me is like, you know, that's like, uh, I don't know, LeBron James telling you, you did well, you know, it's just great. Yeah. But uh, not, there's, there was nothing beyond that. Ever. Is there nerves before you go on? The, oh not like on the God. 11th time, but on the first time. I, every time, every yeah? single time for me, every time I would be like, I'm, I'm relaxed, I'm relaxed, I'm relaxed. And then let him would go. And you're, Comedian for the night, and I'd go, oh, my God, I don't want to go out. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get yourself the courage to go and do that? Is it just a, hey, you know what, I'll just walk out? You just out. have to. I, I mean, I think a lot of it is just you thinking, well, everyone's done this before me. They they turned out okay. It'll yeah. be fine. And it's TV. There's too much money at stake. No matter how bad it goes, they'll fix it because of editing and stuff, yeah. and it'll be okay. How long do you get for a Letterman spot? Four and a half minutes to five. Sometimes but, it's five. Ten. And you have to go and tell them the Act ahead of time, right? Yeah, they have you to vet the act. Set. Yeah. And do, 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 do they give you notes back on jokes sure, you can't do? Many, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can't say certain things, and uh, and it's fine. You, you find another word for it, but uh, yeah. What's and I'm sure it's even worse now, yeah. What's the most nervous you've ever gotten before a show? Like, what was the gig that made you the most nervous? Was it Letterman? It was probably Letterman in one of those corporate gigs where they tell you, you know, you can't say this and you can't say that. and But they're vague about it. They're like, just don't talk too much about sex and don't be too edgy about this. And then you're like, well, that doesn't help me at all. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. And uh, But Letterman, I, I mean, definitely Letterman. It was like I was so scared to go on Letterman at times because I, I just didn't want to blow it. And I didn't want to disappoint him, and I didn't want it to go poorly. And but it always went well. Yeah. But it, it just it was terrifying. Do doors open up? I remember back like back in the day, if you went on Carson and he invited right. you over to the couch, then it was like, "Hey Hollywood, I'm here. I've arrived." Do the doors start opening up a little bit after yeah, that? Yeah, you get Letterman a lot of still? meetings. Those are monitored by you know the networks, and they say, "Oh, Nick Griffin's been on Letterman three times. Let's bring him in for a general meeting and see what he you know wants to do and what he's thinking about doing uh, for his future." And uh, we we did all that, and I actually had a deal with Letterman's company for a year and uh, we developed a sitcom sold it to ABC and it never got they never decided never to Is that heartbreaking it. when you spend a year oh on God. a project and then it just goes nowhere? Sure, yeah. Do they try and pitch it around to other networks after that? or They once... own it. Once they, oh, okay. they if they buy it they own it even if they're not going to use it. You yeah. Know, you could try to buy it back but it's just a big hassle. I remember back at when Artie Lang used to be on Howard he would sure. talk about 
every like a uh, couple of years, he he would be in these holding deals with Fox where they would pay him to not work anywhere else. And he'd go, it's great because if, if something hits, it hits. And if not, I'm still going to get, get paid. Yeah. But his big thing was, I don't want to just sit on the sidelines forever. Like, it's cool to get money, yeah. but you want to get back in front of that camera because people's attention spans are short. Uh, there's a comedian from here. Clark, you probably know him. Uh, Preacher Lawson. He won America's Got Talent. And... Uh, the big thing, I was talking to comedians who worked with him, and it wasn't America's Got Talent that was the big deal. That's a huge deal for him. It's awesome. It's network exposure and all that. It was, what do you have next? That's what they want. They want you, as soon as you're done that show, to have something in the can ready for them right. because they want to, you're hot. Let's keep working you. And, if it, we do, right? and if it cools down, then where do you go? What, Scary, yeah. What, uh, after Letterman, they bring you in. They pitch you the show. You get on there. That show falls through. What do you go back to the drawing board and do? Well, you just you do another Letterman, and you hope they're paying attention. You hope they want to have another meeting with you. And, and I went back in many times and pitched more shows, and I'm still still pitching shows. And uh, some of them they get excited about you. They give you a little bit of money, and you, you kind of develop it, and then they lose interest, and they don't return your phone calls. Yeah. And, uh, What's the average day for you like? You wake up, do you write? How, how do you do it? I write every day for about an hour to two hours tops. And uh, and then I'm always working on screenplays. I, I do the podcast with Lori Palminteri. And uh, when I'm on the road, I do a lot of writing on other projects. Like I'm always working on a screenplay and I'm always working on a TV show that she and I, she's my writing partner, Lori Palminteri. So we're always working on stuff we can pitch. Have we you have ever, the same manager. Have you ever sat down to write and you just went, I got nothing today? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Earlier today, I was sitting there going, what am I doing? I should go down and just have another nine cups of coffee and get a few stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're on the road. I mean, you're in the hotel. They put you up at probably the, yeah, the risk. Yeah, really sparking you. Yeah. yeah what, so what do you do when you're on the road besides, right? Do you ever go out and enjoy? I'll go see a movie yeah. or uh, go, go do lunch or walk around, but not a lot. I really don't, man. I'll take a long nap and wait for the show. <laughs> and the thing is, when you hear, oh, I'm a road comic, I get to go, and you're not a road comic, but you are on the road, you think, hey, I'm going to go out and every night we'll go party and we'll go drinking and we'll go hanging out but no that's what it is i see you post photos all the time post show at denny's (laughs) (laughs) i hop denny's all those places where are the whores i thought that's what comedy was about but no it's the exact opposite it's be funny for me and then uh we're gonna leave and you just stand here so yeah (laughs) it's so weird uh this is nick griffin you can see him all weekend long check out the special cheer up on amazon the podcast scary monsters it's on itunes what do you want to what's your goal what do you want to do before well you call quits eventually. Uh, I'd love to have a TV show for a while, but uh, if that doesn't work out, I'd love to sell a screenplay and just keep doing stand-up. You know, I've gotten re-energized by stand-up after I did the special because I had to write a whole bunch of new material. So I'd like to do, uh, I'd like to just keep doing stand-up, getting better and and obviously sell one of these screenplays that I'm laboring. How many specials have you done? Just uh, the Comedy Central special, which was a half hour, and this one, which was an hour. Did you find that they took a bunch of your stuff out too for Comedy Central? Comedy Central was, yeah, it was it did. I was. I was not pleased with how they edited it. They got to do it a certain way, just for the uh, commercials and the way they want it, and how what they can and can't keep in. So I understand that, but I wasn't thrilled with how. It, sometimes they break up jokes and break up chunks. Yeah, and, it's hard when you have the idea in your head and you know where you want the joke to go, and, and then you they, know how it's been forever and how it works. Yep, and you've tested it with the audiences. That's the hardest part, I think, is having somebody go, "No, that doesn't work," and you right. go, "Yeah, but you haven't seen me work this out, and it right. does work." It's just, it's so comedy is weird. How long have you been doing it for? 31, 32 years. Wow. Yeah. How has it changed? I mean, in today, it's it's so. There's so many outlets for you to go and promote where you're going to be between the Facebook and the Twitter, but it used to be 
radio, the newspaper, the local TV program? How have you seen it change over the past 30 years? Have you? Well, I think the biggest change is people have gotten really good, really quick because they, they were exposed at such a young age to stand up and all the, you know, idiosyncrasies of it. You know, I, I, I had a hard time seeing stand up much because, you know, we didn't have HBO. So I'd see it on Letterman and Carson and just be exposed to it a little bit. But these people now, these kids now, they see it on YouTube when they're 10. Yep, Netflix, and it's all over. tons of comics get started 16, 17, 18, you know. And it was unusual when I started at 19, 20, you know, to be that young and starting stand-up. And I think now the big thing is you have to learn how to market yourself. It's so important. I was kind of caught in that old school where I didn't do as much um, marketing as I should have. And now I wish I had done more. And I'm, I'm starting to get better at it. But you, you, marketing is just, it's all marketing. Now. It is. It's weird. It's Facebook likes and Twitter followers and YouTube now. YouTube and all that stuff that can help you free. It, it drives me nuts because uh, you have, have you seen the bagel boss dickhead? I, yes, I hate that course. guy. Sorry. I just, it's, I don't know what, like people are like, I said this yesterday. I was like, man, I just don't like the guy because he's famous for being an asshole. And my people are celebrating that. Now he's making money, but now he's got a following. He's got a social media following. Yeah. He's got a company behind him. Got he's doing manager? celebrity fight. He's going to be doing stand up here in town Where? next week at the other club here wow. in town. And I went, How's that go? Like, because you know he's not going to go out there and be funny. So what are people showing up to see? The guy get on stage and yell? And I went, that's the kind of stuff that drives me nuts because that show will sell out. People are going to come because they saw him on TMZ. They saw him on the Twitter. They saw him on Facebook. So they're going to go to that show. But meanwhile, you can go to these clubs and see fantastic comedians and the club will be half filled because they didn't market it right. And it all, it's no longer, I mean, yeah, you got to be funny on that stage, but it's also, you got to play that game of, Con, uh, communicating through social media, posting where you're going to be. It's hard. How do you find, like, how are you getting better at it? Are you just more active with it? More active with it. I try to be a little bit more active on Twitter and, um, and, uh, and Facebook. Those are, I, I'm not, I'm not even on Instagram right now. <clears throat> so, um, it's hard and it's hard to spend a lot. You know, when you're out there writing jokes, it's hard to go, I should be, you know, doing something to promote myself more. I just, it's not what my, interest where my interests lie but i'm getting better at it and uh you know i've hired people in the past when my special came out i, I had people help promote it and yeah I did that but i think you know getting all your fans to sign up and get their emails and their um twitters uh following you is really really important because when you go into these clubs now they want people to come and see you and it's up to you to get them there whereas 20 years ago no one ever thought about that 30 years ago it was up to the club to get the audience in there yeah that's what i've heard from like if you're looking for a manager or agent they look at how many followers you have on twitter or uh, facebook friends but it used to be hey just be funny bring it to us and then we'll make it now it's you have to build it all yourself and take it to them and then they distribute it absolutely it's a weird business it's so scary do you enjoy so you said you found a new love for it after the special well i've always been crazy about standing up it's just it's so fascinating and so hard to do and so um challenging and there's you'll ne- you're never done and uh but yeah after that special i thought geez i can do so much better than that and i can get better and i want to get better and that's has there um, ever been a time where you're like you know what maybe i'll go do something else oh, sell insurance sure. yeah i've had a lot of bad shows in the middle of nowhere and gone this probably is not going <laughs> the way i had planned yeah maybe i should go back to that uh yeah 
But you stick with it. There's not, I mean, yeah, of course, because you it's in your blood after a while, you know. It's like radio with me. I don't really know how to do anything. I can deliver a pizza really well. I'm really good <laughs> at pizza delivery. Everything outside yeah. of that, I have failed at. I cut Christmas trees down for one season. I was good at that too, but you can only do that for like a month. And I Ew. went, This is it. It's radio, and that's why you change because it might, I, I, it's that saying that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your yeah. life. But that's how I feel every day. Yeah, I got to come in for a few hours and be in a building, but. It's fun. And yeah. it's the same way with stand up. Boss. Yeah. I, I really I like that just being in control of everything. Where's the best show you've ever had? Oh gosh, the best show I've ever had. Probably um either in San Francisco at the punchline or at New York City at the Comedy Cellar. Have you ever looked out in the audience and it blew your mind that there was somebody, like a famous person? I remember being on stage at Side Splitters in Tampa and I looked out and Chris Jericho, the wrestler, was in the audience. Oh. And that to me <laughs> was the biggest deal. I'm like, oh my God, Chris oh, Jericho great. is here. But hey, who have you looked out in the audience and you saw? Uh, well, Chrissy Teigen was in the audience one night oh, and wow. also Matt Damon was in the audience. He's friends with Tom Papa. He and Tom Papa, who's a great comic, um, our friends, and he came into the comedy cellar and was watching me, and I thought, oh, my God, this is pretty cool. But you yeah. can't address it. He's there, no, right? No, then, it's, then you're just a jerk. Yeah, and it's not the cool move. The cool right. move is to ignore that he's even there. Like, That's I couldn't right. play it. I'd be all fanboy and be like, I love you, yeah. David. <laughs> That's so cool. Where's the worst show that you've ever had? You know that dance club we were talking yeah. about earlier? <laughs> no. Like, you know, I, I can't even remember. I, I've had some bad shows in the last couple of years just in uh, some corporate gigs that, you know, they're so tight about what they want you to say that it just, it, it really um, freaks you out yeah. and it doesn't go well and you feel like you disappointed people. But uh, Let me ask you, do you think Eddie Murphy, this is my big question that I'm pondering now because coming to America too is, I think they've done, they're done shooting it. Yeah. He's been on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Um, and now they're saying he's going to host SNL in December. And yeah. I think, and then there was that rumor Netflix offered him $70 million to come back and do a special. Can you believe it? I think it's all lining up for that special to come out in 2020 and they're going to promote it on SNL. But I've just wondered what other comics think. Do you want to see Eddie come back out and do it? Or do you leave that legacy alone? I say come back and do it. Why not? You know, I think, uh, I think Eddie probably has stuff to say. The only thing I can say about Eddie is that he's got, I mean, I, like anyone else, uh, he's got to do it a lot before he shoots that special. And I don't know how he's going to do it. How do you keep it under wraps? I mean, it'll just be chaos. That's what he told Jerry. He yeah. goes, I don't know where to go. I got to get back out there. It's like going to the gym. You got to get those reps in, yeah. but I don't know where to do it. And yeah. Cause people will lose their mind. Do you have, do you have that hard time working out new material too, though? Cause when you go out, I mean, they'll be like, Hey, I saw that guy on Amazon. He's funny. And then all of a sudden you're going to test out a new premise and it doesn't work. And now yeah. they're like, oh, he was a lot funnier on Amazon. Well, I use, I do most of my uh, new material in New York city when it, cause I'm usually there four or five days a week. Uh, and then I come out, you know, maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday to the, uh, to the road. So I do most of it on the, in, in New York city and work it out that way. Do you cram it into the middle of a set? Yeah. Do you ever go out with like a whole new five? No, no, never. But there is a, uh, the comedy seller does have a, a, a night called new joke night twice a week at one of their smaller venues. You know, Comedy Cellar now has three venues. So in one of their smaller venues, they uh, all the comics come out and do nothing but new jokes. Really? And, uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm, we're friends with Jared Waters. I, I think you know Jared, too. Yeah, Because I follow him, and I see him hopping around from shows on social media. And yeah. I go, it's cool. Like, I'm jealous. I'm down here in Florida. I'm like, well, because realistically, down here, like this far south, there's two places to do comedy. Yeah. There's a tattoo parlor that you can go and do open mic nights on Thursday nights. 
outside of that, there's nothing. And I'm like, man, it's because up in Tampa where I'm original, I moved from Tampa and it was how you could go out seven nights a week, right? Clark, you can go every, there's every imaginable spot to go do comedy, but then you move down here and it's a little more older and there's not as much interest in comedy. You're like, all right, I'll go to the tattoo parlor on a (laughs) Thursday night and try out jokes. Um, This is Nick Griffin. You can see him all weekend long. Uh, Again, check out the podcast, scary monsters, cheer up. The special is available on Amazon. All things Nick Griffin, nickgriffin.net. One question before I let you go. Besides yourself, because a lot of comedians are like, oh, I'm the greatest out there right now. But who do you think, besides yourself, is the best out there right now doing it? Oh, geez. I would say there's a guy got a a new HBO special coming out soon called uh, Gary Goldman, who I think is the... I saw him at the cellar out. and he was, he did like eight minutes on ice cream and it made me laugh. I'm like, man, I'm laughing at jokes about ice cream, but they were so brilliant. And then he does the writing tips on Twitter, which are super helpful where you just, cause there's days where I'm sitting there and I'm going, what am I going to write about? I got yeah. nothing. And I go and I read a Gary Goldman tweet and it's like, go back to a joke you think was done and find out why it's not done. And I went, Oh, okay. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, right. but the it's fact nice that be reminded and there's a guy out there that knows how it's done telling you how to do it. It's like those master classes that they offer where you can right, go and exactly. you can watch Steve Martin tell you how to do stand-up even though he doesn't really do it that much anymore. Yeah, now. I would say Goldman if it comes to mind. Goldman is the best out there? Yeah. Well, this is, uh, it's been a pleasure. This is Nick Griffin. Thanks you can see him with Clark Brooks all weekend long on the podcast Scary Monsters Podcast. It's on iTunes. Cheer Up is available on Amazon. NickGriffin.net for everything. And if you would like to read Clark, Clark is a columnist. Where can they find you? Identity Tampa Bay? Yeah, in Tampa News Force. Tampa News Force, uh, which is a very funny parody account. You should go and follow it now on social media. And IdentityTB.com, is that the website? Yeah. Go find Clark's writings. He uh, keeps you up to date with everything that's going on with stand-up all over the Tampa Bay area and Southwest Florida and go see Nick Griffin this weekend. Thank you for coming in, Nick. Thanks so much. Thanks for checking out the Robcast. If you dug this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rob Show. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Rob Show TV and keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, the Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>